Welcome back to Cover Stories B-Sides. Today we have John Caceres. How's hey. it going? Hey, what's going on? It's uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm, this is uh, quite an intimate setting you guys have here. We so. try. We, we try to make it intimate and we're like under little little uh, dining room mm-hmm. area. Um, thanks for being on. It's been it's been a while. We want tr- want to get you on because uh, I've been wanting to talk about Scott for a while. You decided to talk about uh, Robic Fish's cover of uh, Story of My Life, originally by Social Distortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so picking it up, picking it up into it. What, what okay. made you decide to pick this song? Uh, well, two reasons. I think one was uh, the first one is the the fact that it like you know it's probably one of my favorite Robic Fish covers. You know, Robic Fish is kind of a known. For covering, you know, uh, certain popular songs in a very, uh, you know, they, they skankify it, I guess what you yeah. would say. Like, you know, they put some some ska and real big fish like style to it. Um, this is one of my favorites, I think, because um, the, the lyrics of the song kind of uh, fit the band so well. Because, you know, there's like a, it, the original song already kind of sounded upbeat and happy, but the yeah. lyrics are kind of like, you know, a little bit on the sad side. And I think that fits real big fish. And also, like, I think the other reason is, like, we're going to be kind of talking about the, um, I think when we had, we're talking post, uh, you know, last time we saw each other, we were kind of <clears throat> talking about the, the ska scene in San Antonio. And the way the song is kind of structured, the song is, uh, basically, the lyrics are about, like, a dude being nostalgic for older times. And I think that was, I thought that was going to be perfect for, like, the stuff we were going to talk about here. Yeah, definitely. I I, I love that they didn't, venture too far from the original mm-hmm. um I, I have this weird thing with social distortion i like social distortion but i can't i can't listen to a full album of theirs because it's very uh monotonous yeah <laughs> for lack of a better word and i enjoy that it's just like i really have to be in the mood and uh, at the same time this is one of my favorites this is might be my favorite social distortion song yeah right. uh, i just love i love the guitar riff in there and, and they kind of turned rubik fish kind of turned into more of like a dub sounding song you know yeah. they, they kind of lower it back a little bit and Aaron's b- vocals kind of come out I really like hearing him sing this yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty great I think I also you know I discovered this song I had always kind of known it was or I didn't always know but like it's it's like you kind of forget about a song until you hear it yeah. again and I think when I bought um the album we're not happy till you're not happy which came out in 05 I bought it like maybe I want to say maybe about a year or two after it came out um I was reminded by the classic social distortion song like i had heard in you know i i had heard first heard that in movies you know growing up watching reality bites i think it's like oh, in the yeah, background. Yeah. and also in <clears throat> one of my favorite like mtv flicks orange county yeah it's actually playing in the background while um colin hanks character is kind of like doing his opening narration um yeah and then rubik fish is yeah this um i discovered this song at like at the height of like my obsession with ska i guess you know back in um you know probably 2006 or so when I was in high school, and it was um, it was it was great. You know, I've, I've been listening since then. Um, it's obviously not not a whole lot is going on, or I don't. I try not to. Uh, I guess where am I going with this? I, I try to <clears throat> kind of keep up with like current bands in the in the genre and stuff. But um, mostly, I just kind of go back and listen to the to to the greats, I guess, like Robic Fish and um, Streetlight and Aquabats and stuff like that. For sure, I, I think. Uh it's funny because uh, we were talking about this before we started recording that there's that, that documentary, Pick It Up. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about the 90s ska scene. And, I mean, we, we were kids. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. – I knew ska – like, my introduction to ska was probably uh, the Bostones from Clueless. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I just didn't think about it until high school, 10 years later. And that was way after the peak. But I felt like San Antonio, either San Antonio was behind or there was like a little mini revival in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. Because Scott Explosion, every first Friday of uh, the month at Sam's Burger Joint was like, uh, it was a happening, man. It <clears throat> yeah, was, it was classic. I, I loved like the Scott Explosion, you know, going to like the Sam's Burger Joint version and even like the later versions of like at the Blue Bubble Ballroom, which, you know, people who live in San Antonio would know where that's at too. Um, it was like, it was wild. It was kind of weird. Cause like I was just, uh, I had just gotten into the whole ska thing and, you know, being, being a person in high school band, like, you know, a, you know, being like, you know, a quote unquote band geek and stuff and seeing people with like horns and shit and like, you know, being like almost like rock stars up there. Yeah. It's like really cool. <laughs> and then doing like, you know, these, um, these, these kind of mosh pits, but not really mosh pits. They're like little skank circles, which you yeah. know, at first glance looks like, <laughs> like, people going in a circle almost like in a cumbia like circle yeah. or some shit <laughs> and you know and they're doing this kind of little weird uh dance where you're just like kind of kicking 
and uh, I lost my shoe once at one point. It was just, it was freaking awesome. And then just that energy of being there and kind of uh, just like, I don't know, it's like, it's almost like you're, you're included in a, in a group that like it, that wasn't really popular. So it's like kind of like a little underdog um, group of people. Yeah, it's funny because I, I still, I felt like people would judge when I skanked. And yeah. I was like the complete opposite of the point of skanking. Like, it doesn't matter if you look good or not. And it, like, there's really no way to look good doing it. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> but it took me a while. I think the first concert I ever skanked at was uh, Streetlight Manifesto played uh, White Rabbit. And I can't remember who they played with, but I remember... They went back and forth between because Kisby Knights had come out the, the new one, and they'd gone back and forth mm-hmm. with Point Counterpoint and um, and uh, what's that song? Kisby Knights. Kisby Knights, yeah. Yeah. So they they kind of went back and forth, and it was one of those things where it just felt like this was like in 2011, I think 2010. Uh, it was pretty a lot later, and I just remember being really into it to the point where like that was the first time I felt comfortable. Everyone was just doing it, skanking. Yeah, yeah like, it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> yeah, I think I uh, I first started skanking at the. Um, where the fuck was the first time I skanked? I think the Voodoo Glow Schools came about when I was like a senior, like maybe a junior in high school. Um, they came down and they had like some other acts, you know, with them as well. But I think I remember um, getting really into, I think that might've been like the first like giant show I'd ever been uh-huh. to. Um, Cause I didn't really, I mean, even before we started recording, I was kind of nervous about being on this podcast cause I was just realizing, I was like, I don't know a whole lot about music, <laughs> but the stuff that I do like, I, I would hope I have some stuff to say. But, um, you know, being like kind of intimidated by like the show uh, scene, you know, and then going to like a Voodoo Glow School show <clears throat> in high school. And then, you know, it's because a, a mosh pit started. Voodoo Glow Schools are kind of like a little yeah. bit more of a rougher ska band than <clears throat> than other bands would be. And, uh, you know, and then I think one of their opening acts is like there was a, a skank circle going on. And you're just kind of like, I remember just being like, uh, will I, won't I? And just like, you know, and then. <laughs> And then you see like two of my buddies jump in and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. We're doing this. And then I don't, I don't think I even knew how to skank at the time. I was just kind of just running around in a circle and just pushing people. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny cause I, I have that exact, I was intimidated by Voodoo Glow School's crowd. I, I got, it's funny. I bought Band Geek Mafia on like those BMG, like buy 12 for a penny like, mm-hmm. yeah. clubs. I was a part of CD club and weirdly enough, they had Band Geek Mafia and I love that album. Um, but after a while I kind of, I, when I reached the point where like Scott was kind of like a skeleton in my closet where I was like, I wouldn't say ashamed, but I was just listening to other things. I sold a bunch of CDs and at, um, CD, uh, exchange, um, I would gave one of them was band geek mafia and the guy front like was like, Oh wow, you're getting rid of this. And I was like, Oh wait, should I not? Like, should I keep <laughs> it? Should I hold on? And it made me even more intimidated. Like maybe I should hold on to this. Maybe like, I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I, um, it's funny that you say about like the ska being a skeleton later on. Cause I kind of feel like everyone who was into ska kind of goes through that phase. Yeah. Like they're just <laughs> kind of like, Oh, well you either kind of stick with it or you, you kind of like, it's like there, there's a period of time where you might be ashamed of it for a bit and then you either get back into it or you just like abandon it altogether. Um, I think that was like me for a while too. I think, um, you know, after, after Sky was really into like, you know, indie rock and then some other, I think Sky helped me kind of just to jump off into bands that I didn't really know about because, um, you know, without Sky, I wouldn't have done, or I wouldn't have gotten into, you know, bands like Zoloft, the Rock and Roll Destroyer or like, you know, Tokyo Police Club, which I know are super unrelated in a way, or at least Tokyo Police Club is, but like, you know, I wouldn't have discovered those if it wasn't for like a, a reignited interest in like music in general. Like, so I just didn't want to, in other words, like I didn't want to, I wasn't, I was done being like spoon fed shit from the radio and other yeah. words. Like I was like, all right, I'm, you know, I, uh, maybe I'm on a high horse. Like I was like, fuck this shit. It's not punk <laughs> or it's not ska. Um, <clears throat> but it was because of that, that I went off and like, you know, discovered more bands. And then I went, uh, <laughs> I was like, when I discovered cannabis, I went back immediately and just went to Radiohead, which is funny. <laughs> but that like made, led me to, <clears throat> to discover more, more music. Um, and uh, it was it was awesome. And then I went, you know, the circle went back around, you know. Yeah. I think like, you know, in 2012 or so, Real Big Fish threw out a new album. And I think Streetlight Manifesto did the same thing. And it just got me, my head right back in the game. And it was pretty great. I'm glad you mentioned Zoloft because <clears throat> Zoloft was a band. I remember they either toured with Real Big Fish or just yeah, yeah. Aaron would talk about them a lot. And I remember listening to them at that moment in like 05 or whatever and just not being into it. 
And then years later, I discover Anthony Green was, Green was in a part band. of it. Yeah, he was yeah. in the in the prototype of yeah. Zoloft. Yeah, and in that pretty uh, sings pretty for baby song, it's on everywhere. Like you download it, it's credited to Say Ocean for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that I fell in love with that song. I bought the EP. I fell in love with the whole EP, and and I think that band kind of got me into. I'm, I'm a big fan of like female led vocalists for like punk bands or or even not even punk bands but just like uh like alternative rock bands right, and i yeah. feel like she kind of started it off for me because i was obsessed with that it was even a cd it was like an ep their first ep yeah the one with anthony green still on it yeah the, the very first yeah it's two songs i think oh to madonna is another one he sings on Ode to madonna and like even on moment which is like yeah. a, like a trademark Zoloft the rock and roll destroyer song like he has that first version of moment and uh, Mean Old Coot, which, you know, oh, is yeah. kind of like a, you know, the later versions are a little bit, I don't want to say sillier, but, you know, they, it's a different sound than the than that EP version. Um, yeah, that first EP I still have. I still listen to that, like, when I work at, like, my own shop and stuff. It's pretty funny. That Tweet Pop was pretty <clears throat> cool because I, I feel like, I mean, Hello Goodbye kind of, uh, like, they kind of capitalize on that moment. And Zoloff was definitely in the beginnings of that. I mean, they're coming off of, a, I can never pronounce the name, Mog Moog Keyboard. Uh, Moog. Moog I, I yeah. said it wrong last episode too. So, Moog keyboard. They they really use that a lot. And from there, I actually got into the anniversary and got into the rentals. And and I, I think <clears> it's become one of my favorite like instruments to listen to. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I think I even tried to imitate that at one point because you know um after I think Zoloft the Rock and Destroy. I was I was able to to find out or like you know discover them through their association with real big fish because real big fish would bring uh rachel minton on stage for uh you know she has a girlfriend now which is the you know a, a fun song yeah. for real big fish and they um i think they released an ep together which is um duet, what it, yeah um, it was yeah that's right duet all night long which is you know just basically covers old 80s songs in duet form um <clears throat> and then listening to a lot of zoloff after that like you know going into their very brief but kind of like to me still effective discography um, after my little ska, like, you know, um, <clears throat> obsession there in the late 2000s and the early, you know, 2010s, um, I think I try to, th I try to form like a side project with, uh, some buddies of mine who, who, uh, you know, were, <clears throat> I, I didn't, haven't explained this yet, but I was in a ska band, like basically in the, uh, late 2000s and, um, you know, we try, we played a couple of shows around town. Um, I'm not going to say the name cause it's a little <laughs> embarrassing, but <clears throat> the, um, we did play around uh with some well-known acts in in san antonio with like you know kevin goes to college i think we played one of our last shows with them um echo squad and uptown creepers which all fascinating bands here from, yeah. from this ska scene uh um so after that looking like, after the big ska phase like i was kind of trying to do a little bit more like on synth pop rock and like you know i think a giant influence was zoloff the rock and roll destroyer like i kind of wanted to have like that little keyboard sound in there um, and female fronted vocals, like you know, I I was always like kind of trying to get in touch with people who sang, who weren't uh, dudes, um, <laughs> and it um it never really kind of like you know worked out because eventually like you know other stuff got on the plate like you know I got um I had to focus more on college and everyone else was uh doing their own shit, um but it was really it's really cool to think about because like you know it's all off the rock and roll show as brief as it was kind of like the way Operation Ivy <laughs> to like the entire yeah. genre it was very um. Uh, formative for me like you know that led me to you know listening to other shit which is pretty cool for sure i i think it's um I mean, it's a natural progression um i don't want to say evolution because they're you're kind of synonymous in a sense but going from ska to like the more synth type of sound i mean you have bands that kind of did that it, like didn't mu 330 kind of have that kind of synthy yeah ska sound after yeah that and then i think aquabats um oh, yeah <clears throat> didn't i don't want to say they ditched their ska sound because like you know their later stuff even like the most recent album um, that came out had a um, had some ska flair to it, but yeah, they jumped from like horns to very synthy, poppy sounds. Yeah, I, I love that. That I mean, it it, it flows really well, uh, and I I hate to say it because there is this this thing about like the, the the sound that and they talk about this in the in the, the documentary. There were a lot of these <clears throat> these uh, like real big fish ripoffs that were in like the Food Network commercials or like Target commercials. Yeah, yeah. And Nickelodeon shows. I always think about there was this show on. Um, I want to say it was Fox Kids called Ned's Newt, and mm -hmm. the song was like essentially like a madness ripoff kind of. 
and it was very ska oriented and i i've always that was probably like my introduction to like post boss tone ska you yeah. know um <clears throat> but there there is that with the, this the horns itself is 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 a synonymous with this kind of and i think that's what kind of makes it a little embarrassing i was a band geek also so i i think that you know there is this this aspect of it that like i enjoyed it but there was this there was this thing about people who like were obsessed with ska that i didn't want to be associated with yeah and it wasn't like an uppity thing it was just more like like if you ever hung out with like a drama nerd that's what Scott kids were. <laughs> this is like, oh, like I'm gonna get my pork pie hat. hat. I'm gonna wear suspenders. Suspenders and that. And I still have friends. Like I have yeah. one of my best friends still does that shit today. He's gonna go nameless, but I mean, if he's <laughs> listening to this, you'll know who I'm, who I'm talking about. But like, it's yeah, it's just like I never had the balls to kind of like dress like a rude boy or like a mod um, person. Even though now I was kind of like you know watching the documentary, I was like, oh, I think I could have probably pulled off the mod <laughs> dress style back in the day. Maybe more so than the than the suit and the like you know and the glasses and stuff. But yeah, again, I was like, I was scared to be kind of like too, too into it. Yeah. Um, Cause I think also too, like when we were making music at the time, I think the music still like, I mean, like it spoke for itself in other words, and maybe in a negative way, like, oh, this is kind of goofy sounding. And I remember showing my dad, like, cause I was really into it at one point. And so like I showed my dad, uh, you know, a real big fish, like video, like I think it was like uh sell out or trendy that from the songs. And uh, <clears throat> it was fucking funny because my dad is like oh there's some goofy members there he's like it's not you know my dad's used to listening to pearl jam and metallica and all this like you know like you know well basically just like rock more harder rock yeah. and shit and yeah it was just it was it was funny and then like also the fact that like you know when you're in a ska band or when you're looking or even you're watching ska bands there's like you know a fuck ton of people like yeah. on stage uh you know there's like three or four horns there's a rhythm section the horns thing is what got me like i guess it's that's probably where my love started it's like, you know, you're kind of listening to, um, I think Real Big Fish coined the term bang geek punk. Uh-huh. And that's basically what it is. Like, you know, you I never saw myself being really into jazz. Um, well, I am now. Shit. But like, you know, back <laughs> at the time, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, I didn't really want to be into jazz. And, you know, the only reason I started playing alto saxophone in middle school is because I, you know, I think I was watching The Simpsons at the time and I had just chose band and I was like, oh, you know what? I'll play sax. But, you know, watching people with horns like you know i think they explained it in the documentary too it's like oh well, if you you know you're in band you're, you're just gonna become a ska band eventually <laughs> like in, if you're in high school band and that's exactly what happened like i was just got really into it i think <clears throat> streetlight manifesto was probably like the first band that got me into it i think i had always known about the boss tones because you know i watched um digimon as a fucking kid you know and then they have like you know the impression that i get or you know you've kind of known that song for forever yeah same thing goes for like some less than jake songs and it didn't dawn on me that Sublime was ska until after I was into <laughs> ska. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, but like, you know, and then Streetlight Manifesto was like the first thing that kind of hit me. And then I was like, whoa, shit, this is awesome. Like, you know, there's fucking people with saxophones and fucking trombones still to me, even to this day, are kind of a little weird, like <laughs> hearing in ska music because they make it a little bit. It sounds a little bit more wackier than it needs to be sometimes. And you're just like, wow, like it's just like a like a band upwards. But, you know, seeing stuff like that. And then I guess it's like a representation thing. Like, man, this is pretty cool. Like, this is my music. And it was like, that's where I guess like a giant love for that started. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they go hand in hand. The weirdest instrument I've seen in a ska band is there's this band I voted for Kodos. Do you yeah, remember? Yeah, I remember I voted for Kodos. The lead singer played flugelhorn every once in a while. That's pretty. Yeah, see, that's unique. Um, I remember um, seeing someone with a viola one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was... Um, it was odd. There's a band it, called Zox that used to do that. Zox, yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I and saw them open for Streetlight. Um, actually, that was the show. That was at White Rabbit. That's who opened for Streetlight. So you're probably there then. I think I saw it. You were. We were probably at the same show. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy because Zox. Because didn't they play like a? Uh, they played a a Pixies cover that night. Where is my mind? I think. And, and he then brought they, out the big ass bass drum. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the fucking, I, the only thing I got, I was fucking broke as shit during that show. The only thing I got was like a sticker, oh, yeah. <laughs> like a Zox sticker that I, that I put on my acoustic guitar, like later that night. Uh, that was a good show. The best show though, I've ever <clears> been <throat> to ska or anything really. One of the best shows is in my top five. Uh, my first show in Austin, I, I went to school in Austin and my first show there was a the summer before my fall semester. It was, um, Span Fireworks, which was okay, and then MXPX, Streetlight Manifesto, and Real Big Fish. Mm. And it was just like it hit on every level of like 
underground, quote unquote, underground music that I'd listened to up Where to was that this point. Again? This like, is in Austin. Is it at something called like the the back backyard? Yeah, were you there too? I was there too. That's Holy nuts, shit! Dude, like we were <laughs> <laughs> this is freaking wild. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a great show. I was. My favorite part about it, though, is Rubik Fish does, they do tons of different versions of their songs, and Join the Club is a song that I don't really care for, but then I heard the original version, and there's this like extended guitar outro. Yeah. Fucking love it. It's one of my favorite things, favorite like songs from them, and I was getting ready to leave, and they like they did an encore, and they played that on their encore. And I was so upset because I was already like in the back and there was no way I was going to get back up to the yeah. front. But I love that they played that version of it. That's so fucking funny. The thing I remember from that show, that specific show, is like the fact that I was only into Streetlight at the time. Oh, yeah. So like, you know, I didn't stay for Real Big Fish. And even to this day, like I fucking regret it. Like I think um, um, that and my brother Drew, we, we both went to that show. We were got dropped off of my sister, basically. My sister kind of went next door to the actual bar and just oh, drank yeah. until the show was over. <laughs> Um, or at least until <clears throat> the act I wanted to see was over. And then, um, yeah, it wasn't until like, I think months later I was super into real big fish and I was like, fuck, we could have saw real big fish there. <laughs> Another thing that sticks out during that show. Do you remember a band called whole wheat bread? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I discovered that band like, Oh yeah. in that, uh, during that show. And I remember being like, holy shit, like this is awesome. I uh, saw them open up for the matches and MC Lars, well, MC Lars opened up for them, but uh, yeah, it was oh, okay, MC cool. Lars, whole wheat bread and the matches. At the sanctuary, yeah, in two thousand five. I think that's pretty fucking. It's pretty wild. It's wild that we were we were at that show. That that's like yeah. Because I was getting like kind of like nostalgic when you were describing it. I was like, wait, Rubik Fish and Streetlight with the same show was in Austin. Was it like the backyard or something? Was like, it was backstage park. something. It's it's called something else now. Yeah. It, I think it might be mm-hmm. where the new Emos is, or it might be down the street. I think mm-hmm. yeah, I think it is where the new Emos is. Emos East. Yeah. Um, but, uh, my first experience with Rubik Fish, uh, I love telling the story and my cousin loves telling the story cause he's still mad at me about it. Uh, my second warp tour was when I was in eighth grade going to ninth grade and this was right after nine 11. So security was extra tight. It had rained. So the, the pit was kind of closed off and we were both excited to see Rubik Fish. So we figured like, okay, we'll get into pit early. That way we don't have to worry about not getting to pit. And we sat through some bands we didn't care for, but then I had to go pee. And my cousin was <laughs> had just graduated high school. It was just him and me. And he's pretty much babysitting me at this point. And uh, I go to go pee, and, like, there's no way we're getting in. And Rubik Fish is about to start. So we, like, begrudgingly, like, sit in the, like, stands to watch. And within, like, two songs, I don't remember what song they but They might have played beer, which was weird because they didn't close with it. Right. They started playing beer, and people just started jumping the security line. And security guard, there's too many people for all the security guards to get. And I'm looking at my cousin, like waiting for him, like, okay, if he goes, I'm going to go. And he was doing the exact same thing as an as, as the adult. He felt like he couldn't go without me. And as a kid, right. I was like, I can't take the lead. And to this day, he's like, man, I wish you would have just jumped in there. We were playing chicken afterwards. with each other. Just yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Essentially. And it's funny because I ran into a friend. I, I became friends with the, uh, when I moved to Austin, one of my really close friends, uh, was at that show and he he swears he was the first person to jump over the, oh, wow. the rail but yeah. he was there too and he remembers that but that was that was my introduction to seeing them live and seeing them live that that was the one in austin was definitely like the best show but that was a good introduction to them that's pretty cool see i don't think i saw him live for a while after that like i think my um my little brother went to a warp tour and you know got to i think he helped he you know um <clears throat> he brags that he helped aaron barrett move a table because apparently oh, yeah. it started raining and like he was the next one up in line and they needed to get out of the rain. So like him and Aaron Barrett like carried their fucking signing table like over to a different area. Um, but I didn't get to see him until like 2011. Like, oh, right wow. Before I went to, um, I was transferring over to Texas State like for college. And a buddy of mine asked if I wanted to go. Like it was like a, one of those things where, I mean, like where you, you, I had no plans. And like it was just like I got a call up in the morning one time. He's like, hey, I'm going to go to Houston and watch Real Big Fish. You want to come with? And I was like, there's no planning involved. And I was like, <laughs> I don't got any money. He's like, I'll spot you. And I was like, oh shit. Okay, cool. And so we went to go watch Real Big Fish and the Aquabats um, because they were like on tour together. And like, you know, um, DJ Lance, who was like there with the Yo Gabba Gabba (laughs) crew and stuff. Uh, DJ Lance Rock. uh, That's what I think that's what his band's name is. I saw the Aquabats for the first time in 2018 at Riot Fest. I tried, every time I tried, I'd either be broke or, or like they, I just wouldn't be able to get to the show. So I finally got to see them in 2018. 
It was pretty. It was pretty gnarly. Like even watching Real Big Fish and like you know because they're half a comedy act too. Like they're just yeah. like they joke around a whole lot. They really lean into that very silly, uh, that very silly wacky ska image that like you know that um was sold to you I guess like in the nineties and stuff like that. I think they're the ones who kind of like responsible for that. Yeah. Sort of. Like because everything everything ska like kind of looks goofy. But then, you know, Real Big Fish has, like, you know, these giant sunglasses on. Aaron Barrett's always wearing, like, a fucking... I started wearing lady sunglasses because of him. <laughs> and I still do to this day because yeah. I have a big-ass head and they're the only ones that, like, fit my face. <laughs> and, like, you know, a Hawaiian shirt and <laughs> stuff like that. And, you know, they're always, like... I think at one point, Dan Reagan, who was the trombonist, yeah. um, he was, like, the... Uh, you know, they would wear... He would wear, like, costumes. Like, I think I, I remember watching, like, a House of Blues show, um, you know, on TV and stuff. And they... uh you know, he had a bumblebee suit. And so like, you know, he was literally like, he had a stinger on his ass and like, you know, it's just, so they, like, they, they kind of, I think, I think they're responsible for that very wacky, um, like image, which was, a uh, which is, you know, it's, it's weird to, it sounds really funny when you're describing it like that, but when you're watching it, like you can't not have fun. Yeah. Like when you're there live. Cause like the jokes are very self, you know, self deprecating and, um, and they're funny too. Um, yeah, it's it's an it's a trip watching them live. It's very different from watching like Streetlight. Streetlight just is all for the music and just yeah. all for the performance, and they're super fast, you know. Because Streetlight Manifesto, for some reason, live they like to do everything like at a fucking crazy ass tempo, and then you get all fucking pissed off because you're like, God damn, they're so good. Because <laughs> like it sounds better than the recording, but it's yeah. also faster but not sloppy. Like it's not like a like you're watching a punk band play. Um, I don't shit. know if I like I I like I like I love Streetlight I love Keysby Nights era Catch Twenty Two Yeah I don't know if Tomas is somebody I'd want to hang out with though he seems very like like I don't want to say he's like too self serious but for I guess he he just comes across very like I don't think he would think I was cool basically Oh definitely yeah I think yeah <laughs> hey, <laughs> he <laughs> yeah I said the same thing like he's a really cool guy. Um, and he just seems very like, you know, from interviews that you read about him or he, you know, or whenever he starts talking like about this, it's almost like everything that isn't him is not cool to him. Yeah. He, I remember I, I saw him at Warped Tour 2011 and he was just talking shit about all the screamo bands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, he has like a very, he's pretty ballsy yeah. like, and it's no wonder like they don't work with, uh, I think they were on victory records and stuff. Um, you know, I can understand how like everybody would be rubbed the wrong way by the dude. Yeah, um, but amazing, like, dude, like you know, because Streetlight doesn't sound like any other ska band out there. Like, it's all, it's firmly within its like you know its own shit, for sure. I, I think that the whole I mean, there's a whole stigma with the fact that they re-recorded Keys Be Nights, and I don't, I've never really listened to any of the or heard any of the other uh, guys from Cat, from Cats Twenty Two talk about it. But I know there was tension at the fact that they re-recorded it. But mm-hmm. then at the end of Keys Be Nights too, they even talk about how like this was pointless that they did it. And I don't know what he was trying to get. I guess maybe it's like a perfectionist aspect to it. Like Probably, he, yeah. You know, but at the same time, he's also kind of making fun of himself in the sense that, like, you like he's making fun of the person for buying the CD. Like, you bought the CD, you already have keys. Yeah, it's the yeah. same shit. Yeah. yeah, basically. Yeah. But there are versions I like better on the original, and there are versions I like better on part two. Like, I think Christina's better in the original. I think. Um we're talking, I love this conversation. We're just like, we're, it started at story of my life and now it's just going all over the place. Yeah. To um, the, um, I think the catch 22 original version of Kids Me Nights has higher, like the energy is better. Like something about like the, the energy is like a little bit more, what am I trying to say? Like not want to say upbeat, but it's raw. like, it's raw and it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's more infectious. Um, you can totally tell with the streetlight, at least, at least I could, you know, that my takeaway is like, you can totally tell it was like, you know, trying to be perfected and everything's kind of yeah. like, you know, very serious and straightforward and it's not like, you know, a very raw or, you know, I wouldn't say sloppy, but almost like if the original one compared to the new one, the original one was kind of like sloppy and more of a raw, raw punkish record. Um, so yeah, I think the, there's definitely like some versions of the, of the songs that kind of, you know, <clears throat> do better as a streetlight song or, you know, some of them are better as a, you know, as a, yeah. As a Cash Twenty Two song, I guess it's weird that Cash Twenty Two stayed as a band afterwards too, because you know you, there's the non-Kanoki era of 
Catch Twenty Two, which you know had it's everything after Kiss Me Nights, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like um, there was stuff like uh, fuck, what's I own? There's I think Alone in the Crowd is the album. I Alone can't in remember. the Crowd, Dinosaur Sounds, which you know has a. I couldn't get into that one. <clears throat> that was one a has song. Rocky, or, or what's the song? Uh, I think it's Rocky. Rocky. I think, uh, but Weinstein Lips is a really cool like post. Oh yeah, song. no, I forgot yeah. about that one. That was I think that was why I bought. Alone in the crowd because yeah. I I downloaded <laughs> that from like their website. <laughs> yeah, like Weinstein Lips is a it it's a jam. It's pretty cool. Um, it sounds funny because the singer who's like the tenor sax for you know post the post Kanoki era sounds like a. I remember putting it on one time and then like one of my friends was like, "Is this a Toy Story soundtrack?" Because he sounds kind of <laughs> like Randy Newman um, when he's singing. <laughs> um, but some of that stuff is uh is pretty cool. I still think I I, I was obviously less into Cash Twenty Two after hearing that you know he did Streetlight Manifesto yeah. and stuff. Um, but, um, it would still, I think it would still kind of was pretty cool. I think there was like the, uh, the alone in the crowd era too. They had a different lead singer. who was kind of more punkish and, uh, cause you know, point the blame. That's a song too. That came, that's a cash 22 song. That was kind of a little bit more on the punk side than it was, uh, you know, I guess ska like, or like, you know, third wave ska, like yeah. skanky. <laughs> It's been a while since I've listened to it. I actually forgot I owned it until this conversation. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that they're. I, I just feel like Streetlights is on a whole other level. I mean, they talk about being like on the fourth wave, um, which I would. There's a there's a, a a music documentarian named Alan Cross from Canada. It's really interesting. He's got a really cool podcast that I can't remember the name of, but he talks about like fourth wave ska. And he mentions Streetlight and he mentions the Interrupters. And I, I like the Interrupters, but I don't hear what's fourth wave about. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels a lot like a continuation of the third wave. Yeah, I, th- I would say that. I would say, like, maybe fourth wave in the sense of, like, fourth wave of interest, maybe. Yeah. Like, but um, the Interrupters, well, it's a great band. And I, I feel like if I say this, it's kind of a knock against them. But it's, it's really not. Because, like, I, that's one of the bands recently that got me back. You know, or like that. I was like, oh shit, like stuff like this is still being made. Yeah, like, stuff's I just, cool again. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, because like, yeah, you hear, um, you know, you hear their song, uh, She's Kerosene, which is like catchy as fuck. Yeah. It's like, you know, reminiscent of like Rancid and, you know, Operation Ivy stuff, which is funny because Tim Armstrong, I think, like produces them. Yeah. Well, they're on Hellcat Records, yeah. Tim Armstrong's label. And it's funny you say that because the first time I heard them, I thought it was the Distillers. Yeah. I thought it was an old <laughs> Distiller song that I'd never heard before. And she sounds so much like Brody. And, uh, you know, Brody used to be married to Tim Armstrong yeah, and all yeah. that. Um, so I, it's, there is a correlation there. And, and I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just like, oh, he just couldn't pass it up. But I thought it was just too, too coincidental. Right. Yeah. But I definitely, I know what you mean. I don't know if interrupters count as like a fourth wave as in like a new like sound for a ska, but they, it's probably like a fourth wave of interest. Um, through that manifesto, I've, I had, I think I had, um, agreed with people when they said like this is like the fourth wave of Scott because like this is totally you know super different all those musicians are More like you serious know, it feels yeah yeah like super serious they're all like classically trained musicians too like all of those guys are like super duper talented even like watching them live is a trip because you know like you know they again it's the tempo thing that gets me it's like how do you play a song yeah. that's so like kind of complex so fast like that and still like you know make every single like it's so clean it's yeah, like it's insane. The, I mean, the fact the way he it, it's so funny because I, I feel like you have like dub and you have like reggae, it's slower and, you know, ska predated those things. But then it came back with the third wave and it just kind of sped it up and it's like going fr- from going 2D to 3D. And then what Konaki does, what Tomas does with his like with his upstrokes, like he doubles. It. It's like going to the fourth dimension. Mm hmm. It's so fucking nuts, and I don't know how he does it. Like I, I, I've tried to imitate him, and I just come out sloppy. Like there's no way. I've I've practiced for years to try to get his like upstroke like sound. Like, yeah, it's um, it's really fucking tough. Like I've seen people try to do it for like talent shows and stuff. Like you know, even <laughs> in high school. And there's like, actually, there's one dude who didn't nail it per se, but like he came the closest I've ever seen, uh, do it. But yeah, it's like it's almost you can't imitate that. I yeah. think imitating it. Like it, like let's say you were going off and doing your own thing. Like if you just get influence off of Streetlight Manifesto and that's the ska band you want to be, you'll probably never hit that. <laughs> like ever. I think another thing that sets them apart too is the songwriting. Um, yeah. I mean, we talk about them being serious, but I think like 
point counterpoint or everything goes numb has some of the best lyrics i've ever heard of, of any album not just ska it's like a noir like yeah a, yeah like a film noir as as a as a ska album basically. um my senior quote was actually a streetlight manifesto quote uh if only we were brave enough to live the lives we stole mm, okay. um and uh i i honestly don't really know what it means i feel like i think i know what it means <laughs> and it felt very like pretentious senior you know um but but i love it i just love like studying the like what he's saying and and the the stories that he's telling mm -hmm. um i to be honest i never really got anything past keys b nights 2 um the album after that somewhere in, the, in between somewhere in the between somewhere yeah. In, yeah i i couldn't really get into it um but at that point i was listening to a lot of other, other stuff. stuff yeah the somewhere in the between is um it's still pretty good it's got some bangers in there i actually really like that one i've listened to that one more times than i have everything goes numb um, I think it's maybe because my iPod's algorithm or some shit. Like it just <laughs> like more songs from that one come out than the than everything goes numb. Um, the one that I haven't actually listened to a whole lot was their album after that, which was like a couple of years ago. I think maybe 2014, 2013 or so. Um, uh, what's the fuck is it called? Oh, the Hands That Thieve, which is like you know more streetlight esque music. Um, it's just you know it's the most. Uh, it's like a really um, it's alien to me because I haven't like listened to a whole yeah. lot of it. Um, but I did love, I like the, the way Kanoki tells like these stories through his songs. It's pretty cool. Cause they're kind of like, you know, he's nights and everything goes numb seem kind of thematically linked. Like there's, you know, they talk about robberies and, you know, guns and vests, like, you know, <laughs> bulletproof yeah. vests and stuff. And I think it's a, it's pretty awesome. I don't think again, cause at the time I was really just getting into like, this is my segue into actual music. So I was like, what? There can be like actual, like. And, you know, I've listened to Metallica since I was a kid, but, you know, I don't ever fucking pay attention to the lyrics. So I'm not like, you know, I didn't know The Unforgiven was about like this fucking old man and shit. <laughs> so, like, I started to pay attention whenever Kanoki, you know, I started listening to Kanoki's music. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that, I mean, a lot of, I mean, he mentions Bob Dylan in this song that I quoted. I can't even remember the name of the song. Better Place, Better Time. Better Place, Better Time. Yeah. yeah so uh, he mentioned me and Mr. Dylan on the ride home. And I, I think that for that point in time, other than like, we had a whole episode about bright eyes. So I'm like, I don't want to talk more about bright eyes, even though I do, um, you know, as it, there is a Bob Dylan aspect to Kenoki's like songwriting and mm -hmm. it, he tells these stories and then he has this, this amazing like theory to, 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 to back it up on top of everything else. Um, I just feel like they're unfuckable, you know, they're just, it's hard mm -hmm. to, to really match that. And in a way I feel like, my perception of Scott changed with them. Um, you see that a little bit with the RX Bandits too. I mean, RX Bandits probably don't consider themselves a Scott band anymore, but if you compare like Analog Boy era stuff to in The Battle Begun or, or whatever that album was called, and it's just so different. And I was expecting more of that when I bought that, that album, or the Resignation EP, for yeah. instance. Uh, I think that was kind of their transition. Uh, and and they, they still have Scott elements, but I, I love that the, the, the evolution or the progression of what they were doing and still kind of maintaining their own sound. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, would you say that no doubt did that too? No doubt sort of every now and then no doubt goes back to and like has an element of their roots stuff, but like their earlier, no doubt things. Cause I think no doubt people like to bring up no doubt. Like when they're like, you know, a ska band off the top of your head. Yeah. Like, oh, real big fish. Oh, I don't know them. Uh, no doubt. And they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Um, no doubt. I think like ditch their, I don't want to say ditch, but like, you know, they kind of like, you know, there was only small elements of it in their, in the releases, releases after, you know, post Tragic Kingdom. Um, I think Tragic Kingdom has some sounds there. And then I think the big one that jumps to mind is like Spiderwebs. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sunday morning, even a little bit, uh, yeah. just uh, the, the feel of it. Mm -hmm. um, I learned that Eric Stefani, Gwen Stefani's brother was an animator in the Simpsons. Really? Yeah. And in the... The Hullabalooza episode where they're making fun of Lollapalooza, he actually drew No Doubt in the background. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah, it's like a little Easter <laughs> egg. Uh, I, I'm, I follow a lot of like Simpsons Easter egg stuff. That's pretty great. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. It's weird because a lot of people talk about how, I mean, they ultimately did like ditch their horn section and it wasn't like a malicious thing they just were doing different things where they didn't really need them anymore they brought yeah. them back with rock steady which i don't know if i like that album i remember at the time kind of liking it and then kind of getting over it and then now like looking back on it it's a lot better than i remember it being but i don't know if i would listen to it voluntarily i can't think of any other song other than hey baby <laughs> um didn't they one. do that cover 
It's my life. It's my life. Yeah, yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah, that one's really good. Uh, and that's another thing too. When that when that song came out, I was I was so anti anything eighties related, anything new wave related. Mm-hmm. In college, I kind of came back to it, and like now, I think that's one of the probably best covers I've heard in a long time. Yeah, I think I like their um stand and I think it was like the post album after that. Like they have a Adam and the Ants cover, the stand oh, cool. and deliver, um, which is pretty cool. Like it's I think I like the. I don't prefer the No Doubt version to the Adam and the Ants one, but um, it's still a pretty good one. But I don't know if any of the <laughs> and No Sky elements I think are in there as, as far as I remember. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, and I don't even know how they feel about it. Or I, by they, I mean Gwen Stefani specifically. I mean the basis was in the that documentary. And this documentary came out in 2018, I think. I think it came out like it was filmed around that time. I think it came out last year because I remember trying to see it. Um, I wasn't going to make the screening like I was going up to visit a friend in Dallas where they were premiering it really or something or at least here in Texas or something like that. Um, So I think it was it it made it last year. And um, but yeah, they they do talk about like no doubt success there and then how some bands were. Yeah, (laughs) were not feeling that like some (laughs) and some other ones were like kind of jealous in a way. Is uh, she famous now by Rubik Fish? That's about Gwen Stefani, right? I think that's like the myth of it, because I think I I remember watching a uh, there's a there was a DVD copy of that. There's a DVD disc that comes with the um the live album by Rubik Fish. The uh-huh. our live album is better than your live album. Um, and when you turn on the commentary, it's actually really funny because like all you're doing one of the commentaries is kind of serious, and then the other commentary is literally the entire band just getting drunk like watching their <laughs> show. And um, <clears throat> the one where like uh, I don't know which commentary it is, but they basically um. Uh, ask Aaron like is this really about like you know we get a lot of questions that this is Gwen Stefani and or it's about Gwen Stefani and he's like no it's not really it at all he's like it's he's like it's it's like a dream thing it's like if we like if we actually knew who she was and uh, then like so it's like a kind of like a fantasized version but everyone kind of thinks it's literally about like Gwen Stefani that's what's interesting about them I didn't realize this till doing research for this episode that they were like 20 when they hit big with sellout yeah, yeah. And I, I this has been around. They've been in my life for so long that I didn't, like, Aaron's only 45. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind. And I was listening to your podcast. The guy from Ballyhoo, the lead singer, I think, has a podcast. And he had him on. And he was talking about how Rubik Fish was his first band. Mm-hmm. And that's so crazy that, like, you know, I mean, obviously it took a lot of work and it wasn't overnight, but... You hear so many of these stories, and they're like, "Oh, I was in this band, then we quit, and then me and the drummer started this band." It wasn't anything like that. Like, he had, this was his very first band. He got a guitar when he was like fifteen. Yeah, and then he, you know, he heard ska, liked what, liked what he heard, but he also liked hair metal. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I hated hair metal growing up, and I've come around to it a little bit, some of it at least. And I've always loved Rubik Fish's like the influence of hair metal. I love the guitar solos. I love yeah. that they they kind of take that you know into their own with with their sound yeah i heard that that even the image comes from like the glam rock like part of like you know of of the hair metal days like you know like so like that's that's pretty cool i I didn't really notice it too until i until i started doing more research on music in general and you hear kind of like elements of like poison in a song uh you know like talk dirty to me i think is actually very um you hear that in uh, a song on this album the turn the radio off uh not the album turn the radio off the song turn the radio off i think shit or is it drinking one of those um it's one of the one of the we're not happy songs basically uh-huh. but you hear like a lot of like stuff that's i i wouldn't say ripped off influence but aaron barrett would probably say like oh i just ripped that shit off from there <laughs> i also love he's very like he talks a lot about how he's really shy hates doing interviews yeah. uh-huh. and that's actually how i heard about the the, the documentary because they talked about it and he says, like, yeah, there are certain points where I sound like Steve Brule, like talking about ska. <laughs> and uh, watching the documentary after hearing that, I couldn't unsee that or unhear. It. He looks very nervous, right? When yeah, he's talking, he's yeah. like, he. It seems like he might be playing it up for comedy, but you're like, no, I think no, that's I, just the yeah. way he is. Like you know, because he is kind of like you know, he he has a beat. Like he talks like this. Yeah. And then waits for like, you know, a laugh beat or something. And but that's just the way he is. It's like a persona. It's funny because I remember getting I used to love going on band websites back in the day in like early 2000s and pre-social media because that was like your only connection to them and and they had a blog and I don't know if I think it 
I don't know if he wrote it himself or if there was someone else in the band or they just got someone else completely, but they definitely played up this like rock star image. Like he would always yeah. talk about doing cocaine in like a hot tub with four Playboy models and stuff like that. <laughs> and it was like, it was so realistic that I couldn't tell if it was just shtick or if he was just like being honest. But after like learning all this about him, like, yeah, it totally was just shtick. They talk about, uh, this is when they were on Jive. Cause I, I think Jive bought Mojo Records. If I'm not mistaken, and Cheer Up was on Jive, right? Yeah, and I hated Cheer Up when it came out. And I, I, I look back now, and there's a lot of songs I do like. Drunk Again is, I think, such a good song. Yeah, it's a Scott. Scott yeah. sings that, and it's a really good song. Um, but he talks about uh, Maroon Five, how how much he hates Maroon Five because they stole their guitar player, mm-hmm. uh, something Valentine. I can't remember his first name, but he played with Ruick Fish before he got into <laughs> to Maroon Five, and uh, it was just it was fun to like read this character and then seeing him and what he's really like it, it makes so much more sense he's just kind of a laid-back guy yeah um it's funny that you bring up that because i think the alcobets have a similar story about like travis barker yeah. being their <laughs> drummer and then all of a sudden like i think they say it in the documentary yeah. too, which is like you know they just needed a drummer like blink 182 was was short a drummer that day and then like travis was like oh, i will learn your songs or something or they 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 asked travis to be a part of it and then like MC Bat Commander was kind of like, oh, he's not going to leave us. He was just a one-time thing. And then he ended up like leaving and becoming like, you know, with Blink-182 and it's like a trademark now. It's it, really cool that they got like Barker, uh, sorry to turn it up, sorry. No, no, no. It's, I just wanted to say like, it's cool that they got Barker for that documentary and he's like talking. Like, it seems like he's talking backstage at a show that he's about yeah. to play. But um, like he, he, he's very respectful too of his, like of his past, which he's, I think is pretty cool. He's really fond of it from what it sounds like. Um, I, I think that, I, they had there was like a whole ska festival in Santa Barbara because of course Santa Barbara, um, and Alcobats were playing and I think Blink One Eight Two was also playing, and if I'm not mistaken, Travis Barker played a few songs with Aquabats. Aquabats, yeah, I think. Um, but that was it was a pat, like it was stacked. It was like every every band that you like could imagine to be there was there. Less than Jake, even like my favorite ska band when I was a kid was was the Mad Caddies. Yeah, the Mad Caddies are pretty good. And uh, they were there. Uh, was this recently? Because like, I had heard something. Two or three years ago. Yeah, like I had heard that Barker was back. Not like obviously full time with the Aquabats, but I heard he'd done a set with them or something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I, I love that. that I mean, because that whole thing is just so like serendipitous. And it's funny because in the, in the documentary, uh, he's talking about how um, uh, Christian, I can't remember his Aquabat name, is talking about how uh, like, oh, yeah, like they have nothing in common. And like, you know, they're. Blink-182 is very, like, you know, childish or whatever. They're yeah. very, like, you know, <laughs> grown-up kids. And it's funny because Travis Barker also doesn't really fit in with the Aquabats either. Yeah. And it's a different type of childish <clears throat> stuff. And they, they talk about when they showed him the costume, and he was like, oh, you really wear these things? Yeah, he's like, well, we I thought that was just a joke for the cover, like the <laughs> album cover. He's like, no, it's our it's our thing. And he's kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, it, and you know, it all worked out. I mean, I think at that point the drummer went home because he, they kicked him out. I think, I think he had some alcohol issues. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's weird how everything kind of comes together. And that was always my fun fact. When I learned that, I learned that like when I was getting into the Aquabats, like, oh shit, this is Travis Barker's first band. Um, there was a girl I went to high school with, um, who was obsessed with ska and she loved Travis Barker. And she was the one who told me that. And uh, it, it kind of changed my perception of him quite a bit. Yeah, I think I had heard the same thing. Like, I actually that was my introduction to the Aquabats. Oh, is yeah. The fact that like he was like, they are, have you heard the Aquabats? I'm like, no. And they're like, it's Scott. And I'm like, oh, you know. And then the light bulb goes over your head. Like, <laughs> really? And then someone was like, yeah, Travis Barker was their drummer at one point. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> and it's pretty funny because I was like, it was my exact intro to the Aquabats as well. And then well, you what know, was his name? In is like Senor something. Right? <clears throat> I forgot. God, I don't know. I probably should have done more research. All you know is basically MC Bat Commander, like yeah. the actual, the actual head singer. But I don't, I don't really know uh, like Barker's name for it. I, I'm sure it was something ridiculous out there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I just think it's it's fun to to talk about these these, these eras. Uh, we didn't really get to talk a lot about San Antonio, so I want to come back to that. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, my I had a girlfriend in high school before she was my girlfriend. She she liked me. And I liked someone else, but I liked her, but I didn't want to... I was trying to be, like, a good guy. Well, it sounds like a ska song yeah. in the making, yeah. Um, and uh, she... Uh, we were friends. We went to a ska explosion, and she started hanging out with a drummer of a band that I'm not going to mention. A really popular San Antonio ska band. And she did that to make me jealous, and it worked. 
wow. because a week later I asked her out. But it's funny because Sky Explosion was a really big part of not only that relationship, but of part of my sophomore year of high school. And, uh, you know, we'd go every month and, you know, we always had a good time. Um, we actually saw the first time I ever saw Mad Caddies was with her. We, we, it was the first, that was actually the first concert I ever drove myself to. I drove myself and my friend and they went on kind of late. Uh, I remember, uh, Johnny had a spot, a local San Antonio band mm -hmm. opened up for them. Um, uh, I think Kevin goes to college opened up for them too. And, uh, it ran really late. We wanted to watch as much as we could. My friend's dad was like, screaming at him through his cell phone so we freaked out so i left and he thought we were out drinking like he thought that we were like not even at the show and i was like fuck man we could have stayed longer and then yeah. all my friends that were there that i was there with met the band and like got to hang out with him and i was so jealous with the that. mad caddy yeah yeah that's yeah. pretty cool but um but yeah what are what are your first uh do you have any first experiences with like local ska or do, that you can remember yeah i think the first um ska explosion i went to i think either i don't know if it was like there's time of the month, and then there's another band that's very similar. I think it's from El Paso. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if that's also just time of the month. Like I could be just <laughs> thinking that. Um, I think time of the month was like headlining that first Sky Explosion that I went to, and it was just awesome because they played like an Operation Ivy cover. Um, they played Unity, which is a, you know one of the yeah. premier Operation Ivy songs, uh, and then they played um, I think Beer at one point. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, which is you know it's really. <clears throat> you have to play like a very well-known ska song apparently <laughs> if you're doing like a cover um it was wild like i it was it was uh i never never went to like you know a like i never went to the big bands that were like kind of opening because i'd heard that like there was a streetlight show that i missed um before like when i was in high school a streetlight show that i missed that like i think kevin goes to college opened up for them and kevin goes to college was kind of like the the ska band in San Antonio, like even just the name, like sounds like real big, like Kevin goes to college sounds like very ska E like it's like, yeah. very, like it's silly in that sense. Um, uh, <clears throat> so Royal customs, yeah. Royal customs and a uh, time of the month where I think at that first show and it was, it was wild. And like I, like I said earlier, like it's just, it's, it's weird to see like that, that scene was kind of big because there was a lot of, I just remember a lot of people there. I remember losing my, sh my shoe. It was like a checkered van shoe and like, you know, skanking too hard and it just flies across the room <laughs> um it was pretty it was pretty life-changing i would say because after that i was like i just want to do this every time yeah. it happens like every time there is a sky explosion um i want to come back to here like you know and it was, it was i think i might have gone to like every single one even when there was like the, some of the slower rock steady um ska bands that were playing you know because you know not all of them played like the third wave like check them check you know yeah. some of them were like you know slowing it down very specials-esque um, some names are escaping me right now. I want to say like spies like us. Oh yeah. But that was, they were kind of like madness kind of era yeah. sounding. Yeah. And then like Uptown Creepers, which is more of like a, you know, more of a hardcore sound with like ska, like, you know, kind of reminiscent of Voodoo Glow Skulls, but also like, you know, you know, it's, it's the, you know, the overdrive is really heavy and the vocals are almost screamy sometimes. Yeah. And then it like, you know, it goes into like a very third wave, like, you know, skanky beat. Um, yeah, the sky explosions are great. I think, you know, we, we're talking about a lot about the, uh, the Sam's burger joint era, which I think was, you know, at the, I caught the tail end of that. Like, you know, I didn't start going when it was first very popular because then after that, they moved it over to another, to like a dance hall, which is called the blue bubble ballroom here in town. Um, did you ever go to any of no, those? No, I think <clears> I was, <throat> uh, I was, I wasn't living here at that time. Oh, okay. Well, that was like around like, I think 2009 and I think 08 is when they, when it switched over to that. I think like, you know, they basically, I don't know if it was like the promoter or something, but he just kind of bought out a new hall and it literally was like, you know, it's like when you, like if you're throwing a sweet 16 or like, oh, yeah. you know, like a <laughs> wedding reception or like, that's basically what the hall looked like. It was huge, um, but it didn't feel like a music venue. Which is kind of like there was always the weird part. There was always this kind of weird disconnect, um, but um, that was like you know the second era of Sky Explosion. And then some people, if you talk to them, it's kind of like where they kind of started going downhill because no one was like you know kind of they never reached the crowds like the way it it did at a Sam's Burger Joint. Yeah. Um, but you know you still got saw all the greats there. Like I saw um, you know Echo Squad, Kevin goes to college. Um, I never saw the Cosmonauts, but I knew some people in the Cosmonauts. The Cosmonauts have this song called Brown Hair. I can't find it anywhere, <laughs> and it was like my favorite song. How does it go? I don't even remember. Oh, it's been years since. I have a friend who- I have three Cosmonaut tracks on my iPod. Oh, fuck. I didn't bring my iPod with me. I was like, I would show Man. you after the recording, and I would see if there are any of them. But I have a friend uh, named Cesar who was super into 
like Scott or at time he was a theater kid so it just yeah. went perfect for him mm-hmm. and I remember talking to him I hadn't talked to him in like six years and I like I messaged him like do you have this album he's like yeah of course I do <laughs> and he was supposed to send it to like send me a copy and then I just forgot about it or maybe he forgot I don't remember but I love that song it was it was uh it was definitely like a third wave sounding but I can't remember how it went was it like a slower song or no it was, it was like a little a, bit more upbeat upbeat okay cool but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I stopped going in like oh five, oh four, oh five, because I went from like oh three to oh five, and um, yeah, so you caught the beginning of it. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah I guess that was. I didn't, I because I knew, I went kind of when it had already kind of been established, so I didn't know how long had it gone on before that. But I remember, I mean, uh, Royal Customs, two of those guys were in Johnny on the Spot. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it's just so fun to see like these different iterations, um, kind of come within the you know within the local scene. Um, I, uh, there was like Stinger's ATX or another one. Stinger's ATX. Yeah, there you go. And then, um, what the fuck was the other one? Cause I know that there was a, a large amount of reggae and ska being played at an Austin venue called the Flamingo Cantina. Oh yeah. I saw Matt Caddy's there. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, that was the other, like that one to me at the time, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot about how venues work and stuff. To me, that was like the Austin equivalent to like the <laughs> Sam's Burger joint ska explosion. Cause everybody would play there. Like, you know, um, a couple of years into it, <clears throat> into the ska scene, or like when I was into it was like, you know, I think around the time where, uh, you know, when it moved to the blue bubble ballroom, um, members of echo squad or like the lead singer of echo squad kind of got together, uh, uh, a giant band called river city all-stars. Yeah. And they, uh, they would play at the Flamingo Cantina a lot. And they also played like Scott explosion, you know, a couple of times. And I kind of got to know their lead singer through just like through booking. Cause you know, at the time I was kind of a part of a, it was like a do it yourself ska band. And I kind of joined one uh, there at the very end, or formed one, really. And then we kind of got to play a couple of shows with them, which is really funny because, like, saying that out loud, because we were probably the worst <laughs> band on the bill. Like, you know, it's, it's just... I feel like every band would say that about <clears> themselves. <throat> well, in this one, it would be true, <laughs> though, because, like, I think we, we played a Ska Explosion, like, a Ska Super Explosion, which is, like, you know, it was us, you know, and we had no real logo, so, like, we're the only band that, like, kind of just had, like, a weird, like, a font, <laughs> like, on the, on the flyer, but everybody else had their own fucking, you know, actual logo, and we, we were first, and then after us was, like, uh, River City All-Stars, because I think there was a second band, and then, like, the quality just went up, like, from <laughs> us to them, and then they went to Uptown Creepers, and then Echo Squad, and then Kevin Goes to College was, like, the actual headliner, so... I'll always be proud of that moment that we got to play with like <laughs> all the big bands in one night. And like, you, you it's funny cause you're watching and the crowd is like super small at the beginning and then it just like grows. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. And you guys started. So <laughs> yeah. And then like, uh, yeah, exactly. We just kind of warmed it up for them. And then, you know, getting offers with some of the band members, like, do you guys get high? And we're like, Oh, at the time I didn't. And she was like, no, not really. And everyone else is kind of getting <laughs> drunk around us. And we're all like, you know, 19 and shit, like 18. Um, I I've been wanting to bring this up and I keep on forgetting. I Kevin goes to college was really huge. There yeah. was this uh, <clears throat> there's a ska web comic called Twenty One Dead Monkeys, and it was this this woman. I she went. Her name was like her nickname was Boston. I don't know if she was from Boston. I think she might have been from like somewhere in the Midwest. But I remember this. She obviously lives like thousands of miles away from Texas, thousands of miles away from San Antonio, and she loved Kevin goes to college. And I remember the fact that like they got this is pre MySpace. They got to that point where like there are people in other states talking about them, as if like like they've known about them and they know like their CD. They own their CD. I thought that was so awesome. Yeah, that's pretty. Um, Kevin goes. Kevin goes to college was great. I think like when we um, I don't want to plug the stuff that I did a lot, but like <laughs> I feel like we just kept coming back to it because it was so central to what what I was listening to at the time. Um, uh. I think a lot of the members in my band kind of wanted to imitate bigger bands. Like, you know, they were kind of into Streetlight and Rubik Fish. And so a lot of that influence was, you know, a lot of influence was coming from them. Um, and like uh, most ska bands starting out, like, eh, I don't think we were really good at any of our instruments. <laughs> so like, I think like getting influence from the wrong place was like, is a mistake. I was like, no, no, that's not it. Why don't we be like this band? And I guess I feel like I'm that's a dig at Kevin goes to college, but I was like, you know, let's be more like this. I was like, this is a little bit more upbeat sounding. It's, it's kind of like, you know, it's easier and maybe a little bit more achievable. Like, um, so Kevin goes to college was a giant, I guess, like influence for, for me trying to pursue music in that genre. And like, I kind of basically just wanted to be Kevin goes to college (laughs) back then. Um, it's it. Yeah. I remember them being all over the place. I think they opened too, like for most big touring bands that came over here. Um, you know, I saw their name everywhere. It's, it's funny. Cause like, I think I knew about them. I knew about them way before I actually started listening to them. And that's how like, kind of like, you know, uh, 
prolific, I guess I would say, like, you know, that or, or how known they were. And it wasn't until, like, you know, I started listening to Ska, I was like, oh, they're a Ska band, which is pretty cool. And um, fun fact, um, a couple of years ago when I started working at um, the place I work at now, um, I found a CD, like, in, like, the K section. Uh-huh. And I posted it on Instagram, and, like, the um, the ex-singer of Kevin Goes to College was, like, what liked my post and then commented on it. I was like, oh, shit. Know. <laughs> was it always never the same? Yeah. Oh, it yeah. was, like, yeah, the locker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty <laughs> funny, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I just think it's, it's, it's cool to kind of reflect on that and, and, and just to see these different, I mean, we, we were different areas of that. Um, but it was cool to see how it all kind of just came together. Um, but, uh, but yeah, going back, coming back to bringing this full circle to, to Rubik Fish. Uh, do you have any last, uh, any final thoughts on, uh, story of my life? Uh, no, I think like, you know, I didn't want to relate too hard to the song, but, uh, <laughs> the story of my life is a, again, a great song because of the fact that it's, I guess I've always been a nostalgic person. I, I just realized that like recently I, I would always say like, no, fuck that shit. I'm not about nostalgia. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do bring up the past a lot. And so I think that song is like perfect in that sense. You know, it's, it's about, you know, again, like the lyrics are kind of in a sad way where we're just kind of like the character in the song is kind of like looking at his life that's passed him by. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, like, again, Rubik Fish was a, Rubik Fish's cover on it is perfect because of the fact. And also, it, it goes really hand-in-hand hand with that album. I think We're Not Happy Till You're Not Happy is a very bitter album. And to me, that's what ska music was. Like, it was, like, writing really depressive lyrics, but for some reason, it sounds like it's a party. You yeah. Know, it's like, it's a, you know, it's very bright and upbeat, but if you listen to the lyrics, you're like, holy shit. Like, this is some, dist-. like, you know, you brought up Cheer Up earlier. And Cheer Up, I think the song Cheer Up is, like, suicidal in a yeah. sense and then but again it sounds like there's a party going on and i think that was a perfect perfect fit for a real big fish song and um it's still like in preparing for this podcast uh, listening to it over and over it's still probably one of my favorites i think you can make a uh argument for the actual cover album fame fortune and fornication yeah because <laughs> uh, there's nothing but covers on that by Rubik fish but i think the that and talking about a revolution on this album is like they're the Tracy Chapman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're the great, um, the great real big fish covers. And I think Story of My Life is kind of slept on when it comes to like the other covers and their thing. Everyone likes to say like the Take on Me, yeah, cover, which is like very probably their most widely known cover. Yeah, because of basketball. Yeah, because of basketball, really. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite album of theirs? <clears throat> That's a hard one because like I, I think my first. The whole reason, I think in talking about recording this podcast, I probably would have said we're not happy till you're not happy, but I do love their first album, Everything Sucks. I think it, I loved, I mean, the, the production's obviously not great because they did it themselves, but I loved those, those versions of the songs way more. Yeah, see, like, I think that's, I think Everything Sucks will probably take the cake because I love the lo-fi, the sloppiness of it. Yeah. Aaron's voice doesn't even sound like Aaron. It's super yet. like echoey reverb. Like you, you yeah. like, like he's like recording in like a <laughs> kitchen or something. Yeah. And I think the, everyone likes the song beer and the beer is like probably the most iconic song. I think beer sounds the best on that album than it does on like, you know, turn the radio off or any of the, um, any of the later recordings. Um, yeah. Cause that one just like, it plays like a greatest hits album, but it's really just all these songs that they had in their, you know, yeah. in their bank. And eventually they just adapted them to other to other albums, so I would say like everything sucks. Their first album, I got a, I've got a hot take because I I just I love why do they rock so hard? Why do they rock so hard? And I know it's not their best. It, 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 I don't want to call it a blank check album, but after their success of turn the radio off, it felt like they were going for something different. And uh, I just that was the one I listened to the most. I just yeah. love the guitars on on those songs. That's a real like glam rock. Yeah. When you're talking about like hair metal, like yeah. that's nothing but solos. Especially that um, the setup is fucking such a perfect setup. song somebody hates me like yeah. that opening track is like pretty pretty yeah that that fucking album rocks hard yeah <laughs> <laughs> why do they rock so hard indeed <laughs> um so uh do you have anything to plug i know you've got a lot of things to plug. you're part of well you're good oh uh, shit <laughs> um, i don't know about a lot of things no actually no <laughs> i do um i host a movie based podcast called revenge of the sequel which is on the uh delphin pod network if you go online and you know just or I, I don't know if you would go online on a computer and do this. But if you go on your phone and go to iTunes and search Delphin Pod or Revenge of the Sequel, you should be able to kind of um, find it. It's a, it's a movie podcast where we kind of uh, review sequels. We kind of, we do review sequels <laughs> and prequels and nothing basically that's a part one. So everything before or after. Um, if you do like a little bit more specific movie podcasts, we also do uh, Countdown to Infinity and Countdown to Skywalker, which, you know, are focused on Marvel podcasts and Star Wars 
podcasts or Star Wars movies and Marvel movies, respectively. And we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash DelphinPod, um, where you can sign up for, you can sign up cheaply for some stuff and help us keep a, you know, pay for our server space and get a lot of cool um, goodies and special shows that you won't hear really anywhere else, including probably some drunken episodes of myself, <laughs> um, you know, playing a, a game or two. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Just go um, listen to that if you're interested in, in flicks. Awesome. It's a fun podcast. I, I love listening to it. I listened to most of the Marvel one mm-hmm. uh, and I think most of the Skywalker <clears throat> one. Uh, and then I was on an episode. Zach's been on an episode. Yeah, you guys have been on our ROTS, which um, Revenge of the Sequel is our longest running podcast. We've been doing that since 2015. Um, you can hear the times evolving, you know, on the <laughs> on the show as well. Um, but yeah, you were great on that episode. We talked to everybody who wants some. Um, you know, Zach's been on uh, for Predator 2 and Ace Ventura. Um when nature calls and those were really fun episodes to do. Um, yeah, it's a good time. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. Um, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being here. I was like very nervous, like I said, coming on and then now it's kind of like, I kind of want to keep talking. Yeah. I feel like we could probably go another couple of hours, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) maybe we'll have a sequel to this. That would be pretty cool. (laughs) Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, This was great. I hope to, you know, come back soon and I want you to come back to our podcast. Yeah, definitely.